Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Initech. No, you're working at Initech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Long Walk Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Andrew on the board. Do we have Mr. Brendan? Brendan, I will have to turn you up a hair and then I can hear you. How are you? SP Futures. Well. How are you? All right. SP Futures down six. Uh, NASDAQ Futures down 27. Uh, we came in on the Kennedy, and they're just getting down to two lanes by where I got on. So uh, they're going to make life miserable for everybody. And uh, God, I wish I was mayor or governor for like one second. I would stop every one of these projects. I just <laughs> well, you know, as irritating as those are, they need to be done. So the, I mean, the the quality of the roads after a while they just get so beat up that you've got to do something it's just that they're interminable in the length of time and the disruption that they cause I, I, didn't, I didn't say uh, Mr. Attorney that I would never fix a road again what I said was I would stop everyone and I would rebid every single one Oh, rebidding them. Okay. Well, that's certainly a different issue. Why are you going to rebid them? Because I what think... Did, what did you see today I, that I think they, led you to believe? I think... You know, honestly, how can I say this politically correctly? I think they all suck. Every single one of them. <laughs> I, I go by... If, if you want to aggravate yourself, take a ride. Have you and, and the wifey come out by Audrey on, on a, on a uh, LaGrange. We'll go to dinner. And you can go over the LaGrange River... The LaGrange Bridge over the Desplaines River and so forth. And maybe on a, on a weekday you'll find five people working. They they are they're well into their second year. They don't even have they're not forty percent of the way to do one half one side of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, are these guys working from home now? This morning, while I was uh, going to pick up Andrew, they're talking about the Eisenhower ramp to the northbound to, uh, Tri-State Tollway. Now, I, I'm with you. I'm sure that that ramp needs serious work. A year and a half, Brennan? A year and a half? I know. That, yep. that should be four months. Yeah. Two shifts, that, that two point, shifts. Yeah. That point is well taken, the amount of time. I mean, we we go back and forth to our place in Michigan, and they've just started a, a project on the Skyway, and uh, it looks like it's going to be interminable with the way they've got they've got those concrete barriers that they've put up, and it's uh, the last mile, mile and a half going on the Skyway into Indiana, and then the first seven or eight miles uh, across the board at Indiana towards Gary that's just got barricades in it, and I'm just so afraid of what's going to happen over there. Uh, and you're right, hardly ever see anybody working, uh, which is so annoying. Somewhere, Brennan, I know you're Chicago through and through, we got to break this 
Walsh and two other people get every job, and it's their schedule, not ours. For God's yeah. sake, it shouldn't take shouldn't take longer to redo the Kennedy than it does than it did to build the Transcontinental Railroad. For God's sake. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, one of the most famous construction, and it didn't involve the highways, is the, the flyover near Navy Pier. Yeah, I mean that's a that's less than a mile of a flyover bridge that goes from Ohio Street Bridge across the river to uh, the the north south side of the river. It's less than a mile, and that took like five or six years. But how and does this how does this incompetency just become okay? I mean. How, how does how does working on a major express take the burn interchange? How does working mm-hmm. with twenty five people one shift, not weekends? I did see him working on Saturday a couple times. They did some pours. Uh, become acceptable. I mean, when when you and I were young and they redid the brand back then, it was twenty four seven. How did how did this become? Whenever you damn well feel like it. If it's five years, four years, what's the difference? We got to go to the same. These people don't rush. You know. By the way, when you're done, there's another job for you. Well, and not only that, but the costs keep escalating. Look at the yeah. cost increase for the burn interchange, what was originally predicted to uh, to cost and the length of time, and it quadrupled in both. Uh, actually, the cost was supposed to be 5 and it ended up being like 850 or something. Okay, that's, that's not as much of an increase as I thought, uh, but the time took a yeah. lot longer than they anticipated. It was supposed to be, what, 4 and a half, 5 and it took 8 and a half? That's a long time. Mm-hmm, yeah. That is a long time. But now, what you were mentioning earlier, uh, this stuff has to be done. Okay, but when you when you expand a... By the way, driving through there now is a lot easier because there's four lanes uh, express versus three. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. a lot better. I mean, uh, but now the question is, you did that for a reason. You did that because uh, the amount of time people were spending in their cars, uh, you know, waste, it's wasted man hours they use for all these calculations, correct? Mm-hmm, right. All right, so if you decide that uh, a, a three-year or four-year deal is worth it is worth it to save all those man hours and then the, the thing stretches out to eight and a half, I'm not so sure, Brendan, that at the very beginning you wouldn't have just left it the, the way calcula- it was. Yeah, the calculation certainly changes. And there, there are two things. I mean, first is, as you mentioned, the man hours that are being saved, the time people are in the cars. But the second is a safety reason, the condition of the road. Uh, and oftentimes the road needs to be repaired because they're, they've deteriorated and you can see rebar or potholes or things like that in different parts of the road. And the, the patching is not sufficient. However, um, you're right, when you, when you take into account the doubling or the tripling of the length of time to cost a project, the lost time and effort, the, the manpower, uh, it, does it really justify cost, or will people just have to find a different way to get downtown with the roads where they are? Well, I will bet you a double espresso that if you went to the end of the Eisenhower heading to uh, that ramp to the northbound, I'll bet you don't find a person working on anything substantive for at least three weeks. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, I can't answer that. You know, I... I, I First of all, every every available guy should be on this Kennedy project, right? You know, I don't. Yep. But, but, but the question is, why why do we put up with it? Why do we allow I mean, government to get to this? I mean, we had Trump the other day talking about if he's indicted now. If ever if ever you wonder whether or not he incited the January sixth thing, all you got to do is listen to him the other night, right? 
Yes. We're going to have people shooting and we're going to have other stuff if I get indicted. Well, what the hell? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, even though the the people like parts of him, the whole, uh, I'm not so sure the dude shouldn't be in jail at this point, but I know it's a controversial thing to say, but. I mean, I, I don't. Well, care. that is a controversial thing to say, and anytime somebody incites violence yeah. for their own ends, indicates to me that they should be in jail. And I don't think there's any justification, especially for the comments that I've seen and heard him make in connection with something that hasn't even happened yet. Because he's going off the deep end. I mean, totally going off the deep end and getting worse. Mm-hmm. You know, which, yeah. which doesn't mean that somebody from the outside, that somebody tr- that doesn't like the people in Washington, that that that's out of place. I mean, there's a lot of things about Trump I certainly see why people like, and maybe I do too, you know, his ability to, to, to you know, to, to tell other people that things aren't right, because other people don't seem to have that that deal at all. I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I, I would never want to go on, well, the first of all, they wouldn't let me. I would never want to go on national TV and talk about the performance of, uh, monetary performance of, of the Congress and the Fed over the last five years. I think they've absolutely mm-hmm. they've absolutely destroyed the population. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean, I think yep. the, the performance has been horrible. It doesn't mean doesn't mean I tell people to go get guns, right? You know, and, and you, there, there's certainly no denying that he's charismatic. Yeah. Um, and, and and I don't understand the 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 following. Uh, I, I don't understand the nature of the charisma because it's really outweighed by the message and by the the by his behavior and his actions. And and I agree with you completely that he should be in jail. <laughs> well, I mean I I think that the that the uh the depth of liking of the guy is really the depth of hatred of what the government has become in dealing with the average citizen. And I, and well, I, I don't and think I, it's I, just I, the government. I I mean I agree with your point that, and, and that well, government and companies and I mean I mean all it goes with it. The government, the mm-hmm. big companies, the whole idea that, that you're controlled by either a company or by government at every walk of your life now. I mean, there's people right. who just hate that. And I'm one of them, by the way. And I really wish well, it, I really wish that Trump wasn't himself, that he was that he had that kind of charisma and actually could could get people around him and do stuff. Because I really applaud the, the energy. <laughs> and I, I really do. It's not I, I don't dislike the man at every level. I just I think that he he, he basically has blown a chance to uh, to do something from the outside of government. And I don't know if anybody could have done it. I don't know if it was possible because they sure as hell didn't want him in there. I mean, there's a, there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of things that the Trump supporters are correct about, I think. I mean, no, nobody's totally wrong, Brendan. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, everybody's right about something. I mean, the fact is, the bureaucracy did not want him there. And, and that would be the same for any other third-party person, be it Elliot Spitzer, be it you, be it me, be it anybody. They would not, if we went in there as a revolutionary at heart, I don't know what I meant to say revolutionary, somebody who, was, who wants, to, wants to take away some of the power of the bureaucracy, I would say that every one of us would be an enemy on day one. <coughs> and when you get to that point, that's not right. Well, I think it, it I, I think the way you've got to look at it is not just whether bureaucracy or the government as it is, is right or wrong, or, uh, but does it function? And I think that's the point you've made over and over again is, does it function and why does it function and how do you change it? And if it needs to be changed, not to do it in a violent way. And not, to, I mean, basically, it comes down to being a bully with no substance. And, and you're right, I don't think that Trump is the only one who does that. Um, 
but he's a manifestation of it lately. And I do think it is aggrieved politics that people see themselves as being put upon and the only ones. And there's, um, there's no empathy for any other position. And I think that's, that's dangerous for our society. And, you know, that's brought about by, uh, if you don't like me, then uh, fight for me anyway, because I'm going to protect you and it's me against you. Well, but I mean, one, against the rest of them. He, but he is inciting people uh, in some ways. I mean, uh, but I mean, I, I, I think that at, at the end of the day, uh, though, Brennan, I'm not so sure that an awful lot of people, let's put it this way, if we, if we had a, a revolution doomsday clock, and I mean a revolution with bullets, unfortunately, if we had a revolution doomsday clock, we're inching toward it every year. Trump notwithstanding, I believe. I mean, I, I hate to even say that, but I mean, I believe it because I think people are becoming less and less empowered. The difference between the power people have in government now versus the post-war people, the veterans that were here and who were living during the '60s—it's not even close in terms of of how much big companies versus you versus. I, I, I don't. I don't think it's even close. I mean. People watch people get get arrested, even in my industry, for insider trading and some kind of crap that people do for non-registration. I mean, these guys today, uh, Binance, I, mean, I don't think they're the straightest place, but God, Brendan, Goldman Sachs can do whatever they want. I mean, every, yep. I mean it, it, it is scary that when you say, is the government working, the, que- the next question has to be for whom? It's clearly right. working for no, some I, people. I, I agree with that, and I think there are a lot of disparities in the way uh, the government operates in the way things are, uh, are are prosecuted at all levels, whether it's the SEC or the FEC or or any of the the, the regulate regulators. Uh, I agree with you completely. But now, um, just a very simple question: You and I and the listeners, matter one day, uh, I'll, I'll I'll do it again. I'm going to feisty mood this morning. I don't know why. I can uh, tell everything's good, but it, did I, you not have your coffee or something? No, you know what I'm, <laughs> what I'm doing in the morning here. Believe it or not, somebody brought in these. Uh, these uh, cold water botanicals. God, are these things good? Hmm. What the hell is this one? This is uh, blueberry, citrus, and basil. Herbal infusion. Wow, that's and a you, combination. Yeah, and you just you get a big cup of cold water and throw it in there. It's, it's tasty. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's supposed to be doing something for me. Basil must be good, right? I don't know. What is a. Uh, What's this? a blueberry citrus? I don't know. It's whatever. It's blue. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. It's supposed to be good for you. What the hell? Everything's good for you, right? No, I guess well, I'm... I mean, I, I can sell you a lot of things that are supposed to be good for you if I tell you that they're going to be good for you. Too. Well, that's true. But, I mean, it's, it's, like a, it's like a tea. It's like a regular <laughs> I tea. I got a bridge for you, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we need bridges. You know, bridges are good. Um, and it won't take that long to construct them. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, it'll take you four decades to construct it. The, uh, no, I, what I, I guess where I'm going with this is I, I don't really believe that but with the one show, like I said, that people love... I get all kinds of bad emails, and I said if we really gave a crap, we would have the the regular guy lobby or the stocks and jacks lobby or something. Where everybody mm-hmm. should send in a hundred bucks, and if we got you know ten thousand people sending a hundred bucks, we would hire our own lobbyist. And I think that like people like Durbin and whatever, and I don't know if he's the worst. They're equal opportunity sleazebags. You know, if if somebody yep. shoves ten five thousand in their left pocket, wants them to do something. The only way to, to compete is is to put six thousand in the right pocket and say, no, we don't want that. We want to go the other way. And and until you do that, until you realize that's what this government is doing, on virtually every level, 
mean, you can complain all you want about what Pfizer did during this thing and how they how this COVID stuff. I mean, when history books are written, I honestly believe that if if you could put people in jail, uh, you know, reverse reverse wise, whatever that means, you'd have have, have these, these Pfizer executives and the CDC way too close, Brendan, way too close. Not saying it anymore. Well, I think I think your your premise is going to be challenged, depending on what happens in federal courtroom building here in Chicago. It's another step uh, with the Comet Four case that's going on right now, and the idea behind what is legitimate legal lobbying versus um, a, a bribery and manipulation of of power in the Illinois State House. And for example, what's going on with Madigan? Even though he's not charged in this case, he will be uh, brought to trial next April. It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out in in the federal court with the comment four, with the information that's coming out. And I uh, I don't believe that anything that has been brought out in the courtroom and as reported in the news media surprises anybody. I think this is going to come down to a case of whether the defense lawyers can convince a juror of the twelve that this is just normal behavior to your point, this is normal behavior, this is what we got, and nothing illegal. Now, I'll also say that this is the, uh, the this is the same kind of a defense that was proffered by Blagojevich several years ago, and he was not able, or his lawyers were not able to convince a juror that what he did... Yeah, was well, yeah, yeah they did. They, con- they convinced the one. Well, uh, but he was retried, and it didn't happen again. Well, okay, but it, yeah, but I'm saying that that, re, that retrial was one of the most egregious abuses of power I've ever seen. When you when you when you outed the one juror and have had people camped out on her part on her lawn and stuff, where, how would you get a fair jury the second time? Okay, I, I understand your point. My point is though that it's challenging uh, that it's challenging the status quo, uh, <clears throat> and you know that was a case. Uh, have things changed? I don't know because after that, we had Quinn, Rauner, and uh, and Pritzker in in the office. Have the abuses been as egregious as the, and in your face as they were under Bogoyevich? No, they haven't for any of the, those three. How do, you, how do you know? But do they still exist? The, the 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 same people are still doing the roads. The same people are. I mean, all it's business as usual. Mm-hmm. But. And well, we'll see. We'll see if anything changes with this trial. First, if the four people get convicted, or any combination of the four people get convicted, and what does that mean for Madigan? I think it's interesting that. Um, well, I, I think it's fair to say that <clears throat> overall, the real target in this case is Mike Madigan and the power that he wielded, which goes to your point about who has the power and uh, to change things, and yet. I think this is a trial, pardon the pun, but a trial run, a practice run for what's going to happen uh, in the trial with Madigan McLean next year. And well, it, uh, if they don't convict any of these four people, then I think that the Mike Madigan trial will never happen. I, I think there's a, well, there's lots. I wish we could talk longer today, Brendan, but we still have some time. I, there, there's, there's so much involved here. This is almost, you know, I, maybe with different points of view on some stuff could actually give a really nice class in this. I still have my notes from mm-hmm. somebody. Because it comes down to what what is appropriate for a monopoly. I mean, how, I mean they essentially are a monopoly. They've been given that. And, and the idea that they're lobbying and legal expenses to influence people in, in Springfield is tax deductible, <laughs> to me, is abhorrent. Right. 
you know, mm-hmm. and and the and if you take the if you take the you know the, the street crime sort of thing the same way as these guys and say your your whatever your penalty is should be whatever you were able to steal divided by the chance of getting caught. Mm-hmm. Now, does anybody think that Commonwealth Edison over the last thirty years since you and I have been sort of watching them or forty years? That the two hundred million, what did they pay? Two hundred million in, in a fine for this thing that these people are in court yep. for? Does anybody in think? In the delayed prosecution agreement. Yeah. Does anybody think that in forty years, all the all the shenanigans, all the increases in uh, in uh, this and that, and, and the, the the bonuses for keeping their own nuclear plants uh, running, all that kind of stuff, that 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 two hundred million dollars? I'm going to say they're they're ten billion ahead. And well, every, look every, at the look it, at the estimate of what the the smart grid le- legislation in 2011 uh, earned them, and that the estimates that I've seen are 1.8 billion for that one piece yeah. of legislation alone. So I'm I'm saying it, you you that that something has to happen along the level of every single board member is gone with a tag that says you can never be on a public board for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. The, t- the top 50 people in the place. They didn't know anything about any of this stuff. Gone, with no pension. I mean, you need at some point here, Brennan. You really, really have to deliver a message, and that I, I it, agree. And, and, and I, it's I, not I happening. Agree with you completely. But but mm-hmm. these people, these people are liable to go to jail, or or somebody who works for Madigan. I mean, it's it's. I'm gonna say you and I and our listeners, no matter who they think they are, we right now do not have a voice in Washington. Who, who would be yours? Mm-hmm. I have none. Who's mine? I guess it used to be the unions, maybe, not because they cared about me, but because our, our what we cared about kind of lined up. It just so happened that they that they were our voice. I mean, they were a voice if you were in the union for sure. Uh, but mm-hmm. th- who's left? And, and and most of Americans now think the unions were bad. <laughs> I mean, they they were your, the only person you had for God's sake. I mean, I, that's right. And, and, I, mean, I mean, people have been totally schooled out of this mess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I. Well, and, and part of that is because of the actions of the union. For example, uh, there was a time when I thought that some of the principles and actions of the Chicago Teachers Union were valid to talk about. Oh, I'm sorry. Concerns. I'm talking about uh, non-public unions. Yeah, okay. But, but unions generally, I, I I agree with your point. But I don't know if this, the steel workers actually gave a crap about me. But the fact is, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of, a lot of the, what they were fighting against big business about was lined up with what you and I are concerned about. That's right. You know, That's it, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, you know, and did they get too bureaucratic? But they certainly didn't get any more bureaucratic than the companies or the government. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you, when you, I mean, when you're point a bureaucratic figure, yeah, they, they got, you know, did the dues. Did they really need to pay all those people with the dues and so forth? And but I remember well, my you, know, you can you, you can look at the same kind of analysis for the Teamsters Union or Jimmy Hoffman, what they built and how yeah. they built it. Uh, and and you're and there was another charismatic figure in Jimmy Hoffman. And um, but yeah, I'd like to go back to the lobbyist question for one more thing because you know the, the in a naive way of looking at it, lobbyists did serve a purpose at one point. Sure. And the purpose was to have people educate. The legislators on an idea or information behind the legislation as to why it should be good or bad, or information that they would need to determine whether some legislation is good or bad for the general public. 
what it evolved into, though, was greasing the skids for something regardless of whether the information is good or bad. And one that whoever uh, whoever's paying the most gets the most influential ear and uh, and the legislature. And yeah, it's it's a form of bribery, not a form of information. But if the 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 fight is not even, because if if, no, if, if, there, if there is a citizens' utility board, and I don't know how you make it even. I suppose if I, we thought about it, we maybe could do it. But if there is a citizens' utility board, which by the way there are. But if you and I were in it, we're gonna we're gonna say okay, everybody who's in this thing. Pony up whatever you can. Some guys are giving a thousand bucks. Some guys are giving five hundred. Some guys are giving five. Whatever you can, we're going to hire some people. You know, good attorneys like you. We're going to hire these guys, and they're going to fight Commonwealth Edison on this next rate increase. They want a billion dollars. <clears throat> we think the fair number is a half a billion. Whatever it is, and and, and mm-hmm. we launched this battle for a year or two, and guess what? We win. All right. So well, well, here's here's the say, other thing say we did. Ha- but yeah. while we're out having a beer. Saying we won, they're already putting in the next rate increase. And by the way, they're they're guys that fought us. They're 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 in the next rate increase as an expense. Right. So, so well, not only that, but the, I mean the other fallacy of this is that uh, if I'm on the board or you're on the board to so that we even things out for this round and we win, we're going to be hired by the other side on the next time. So and there's no prohibition except our own moral code to switch sides. Uh, just like when you look at how many of these these lobbyists used to be on the staff of Mike Madigan or on the staff of somebody else in the Illinois legislature or the federal legislature, then all of a sudden they go to the Pfizer or they go to ComEd or they go to whoever. Uh, you know, they, they build their credibility and they build their contacts on the government side and quit one day and the next day they start well, the, guy the, was the, the, uh, the company. The guy who was the head of uh, tax appeals. He was, one of the, he was one of the biggest lobbyists. What was his name? Uh, not not the guy there now. Two two guys ago, he was a uh, and, and the the guy, the guy who just retired, Durkin, the head the head Republican in the Senate. I went to some. Oh yeah, shindig, I went, Durkin. I went to some shindig for him. He gives me a card. It didn't say he was a, a senator. It said he was a lobbyist and a lawyer. The card, yeah. the card had nothing he, to do with it. But this part time crap in Illinois, <laughs> just whatever. I mean, we, there's a lot of things to fix, Brent. You think we can fix these half hour a week? We have to get you on more. But anyway, take uh, care. Not quite in a half an hour a week because the schedule we're on right now is like the construction on the Kennedy. Although yeah. we show up. Yeah, we at least we show up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I mean, can you really can you really do construction work from home? Uh, well, I think they're making an effort to do that. It sure seems like it. Sure seems like it. SP Futures up 50 cents. NASDAQ Futures down three. Doesn't look like much going on this morning. Brennan, thank you. Be right back. Joel and Kenan. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freaks guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. 
Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here, right now, right now. Hello, and welcome back to and Jacks. I'm Tom Owl. We have Andrew on the board. S&P futures up a whole 75 cents. We've got uh, NASDAQ futures uh, down 350, so not a whole lot happening here. Uh, we've got uh, Walgreens revenue uh, rises despite sharp declines in demand for COVID tests and vaccines. Uh, so we got that going from Dow's up uh, up 23 over in Europe. Um, we've got the uh, uh, DAX up 32.2 percent, the FTSE up 10.1, Kakaron up 15.2. So um, we're up to the upside, but uh, small. Over in Asia, we got the Nikkei up 41.1 percent, Hang Seng up 216 after being down yesterday. These guys move more than a percent a day. Usually one one way up, one way down. That's a full 1.1 percent. Shanghai down 6.2 percent. So not much going on there either. Yesterday we had a, a kind of a mixed day, but it was strong most of the day. Uh, turnaround day, we had the, I mean, uh, the Russell, which is being clobbered, was up on the day, and the Nasdaq, which has been leading the pack, Nasdaq was down 55, the S&P up six, and the Dow up 194. So, kind of a turn in sentiment day, just a little bit. Uh, Binance up four basis points, 3.57. The Bund up eight basis, po- basis points, 2.31. Japan up 5.35. We've got oil. Uh, another another big day, well another plus day. We're up to 73 bucks. We're 67 last week. We only have 31 cents there. It was a big move yesterday. 73.12. Ran up 33 cents. 78.45. Natural gas down three cents. 205. Natural gas goes under two bucks. 
people are paying bills like it's nine. It's not good. Arbob down a penny, 267. We've got gold up 340, 1957 after coming down off the almost 2,000 high of the other day. Can't seem to get through that 2,000 number. Silver up three cents, 2318. Copper down a penny, 406. We've got Bitcoin down 118, 26,926 as one of the big uh, players. And we'll get uh, Kenny or Joel to talk about this. Uh, Binance is uh, getting an SEC visit, which isn't so good. And we have the U.S. dollar uh, down a little bit. The uh, euro's up over 108, which hasn't been there in a while. And pound is over 123. So the dollar's been weak lately. Uh, Andrew, what do you have for us, Trevi, Weather Sports? All right, it is at 638 here in Chicago on the 28th of March. Starting off with sports, last night in uh, the NHL, the Oilers beat the Coyotes, ending their game 5 over 4. And tonight we can uh, look forward to, as much as we can, uh, the Blackhawks playing the Stars at 7.30 p.m. Chicago time. Uh, last night in the NBA, the Suns beat the Jazz, ending their game 117-103. to 103. But the Bulls lost to the Clippers, ending their game 124 over 112. Going to Chicago, Chicago weather, it is currently 31 degrees. Going to have a high of 48 today, so going to be a lot warmer. Uh, but we're still kind of partly cloudy and maybe a tiny, tiny little bit of rain in the middle of the day. Uh, over in Phoenix, they're at 50 degrees. they got clear skies. They're going to have a high of 80 today, so it's going to be a warm one. Finally, over to Chicago traffic. Uh, out on the Eisenhower connecting to the Tri-State Tollway, um, the exit ramp is closed uh, from the Eisenhower West to the I... Which is the Tri-State North. We were talking about it. Yes, okay. <laughs> yes, that one is closed and causing pretty heavy delays over there. And as usual, the construction on the Kennedy is causing very, very heavy delays coming in from the north. Uh, very heavy in the red all the way from from uh, Austin Avenue to Armitage Avenue. So nearly the whole road. That's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Do we have Mr. Joel? Yes, we do. Joel, what's up, buddy? Hey, how we doing? How we doing today? I thought the bank of Joel was going to buy this place. Uh, what place? Your place? No, the, uh, what is it? The place that went under. The uh, place <laughs> of California. Uh, I put a bit in, but I, I came up a few shekels short. How you, how you doing, Chief? I'm doing all right. How are you? What do you think of the Nothing. basketball? What do you think of the market? What do you want to talk about? Oh, man. UC- UConn looks unbeatable. I mean, don't they? Yeah. I mean, just, uh, um, you know, offense, defense, uh, guard play, center play. Uh, they look extremely tough. Uh, Miami's playing well. You got a f- conventional wisdom would say, that, you know, the winner of that game is going to win. And then on the other side of the bracket, you know, good old FAU. It's great to see, uh, you know, a um, you know an underdog, underdog make the Final Four. We'll see what they can do. And uh, you know my past history with Steve Fisher, correct? You know the whole story? Uh, no. So I'm sure people don't. What is the story? Oh, come on, Chief. Do you remember back in 1989 when uh, Bill Frieder, does that name ring a bell or not? Vaguely. Bill Frieder? Vaguely. He was, he was the coach of Michigan. Okay. And um, he decided uh, before the tournament started that he was going to accept a job at Arizona State. Oh, I do okay. remember that. I do remember that, yeah. Yeah. And Bo Schembechler, who was the athletic director, said a Michigan man is going to coach a Michigan team. And he fired Bill Frieder. They did not allow him to coach in the tournament. 
Okay. I do, I do remember that, yeah. 1989, your national champion, the Michigan Wolverines. Steve Fisher did it as an interim coach in 1989. Um, I won a, a big pool combined with uh, the floor at the Board of Trade and the Merck. And um, the most interesting thing about it was is that, you know how you pick a score where, you know, if there's a tiebreaker or whatever? Yep. Well, the way the game, way things turned out that I was going to win this pool between the two exchanges, even if Michigan lost, if it didn't go over 160, 161. And you know what? John Morton, it was 80 to 79 Michigan. John Morton came down, put up a three-pointer, and he missed it. If he would have made that, Michigan would have lost the national championship, and I would have lost the pool. Fast forward a couple of years, the Fab Five, the Fab Five, uh, Ed Martin, big scandals. Chris Weber uh, was the, the main culprit of it. Uh, basically, there was a big donor in the Detroit area who helped these kids out. Gotten a little, gotten some trouble with the NCAA. So before the 92-93 season, or I believe the 93-94 season started, they fired Steve Fisher. And then he bounced around a little bit in the NBA. Then he was at San Diego State. He went out to San Diego State, was a great coach there. The guy that's the current coach, Brian Dutcher, was an assistant to Steve Fisher for 27 years. Wow. And then he took over the program. And actually, Steve Fisher's son is still an assistant coach. So there's some huge Michigan ties to uh, that San Diego State Aztecs team. And Brady Hoke was a football coach there. He left, came to Michigan, obviously didn't do so well. And then uh, he's back at San Diego State. So a lot of ties there. Probably a lot longer story than your listeners want I would, to hear. I was. I'm not a fan of that foul call the other night. No, a lot of people aren't. I mean, he put his, I mean, you know, the guy blew by him, you know, and he put his hand, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of controversy. They shouldn't call a foul on something like that. Uh, but his hand was definitely on his hip. And I don't know if it was, it was definitely before the shot. So definitely, uh, definitely controversial. Well, I, I, I would say that if you applied the referee to made the call with enough, enough alcohol, he would say that he thought that the guy hit his hand. He did not. He did not call the hip. Really? Oh, well, it, I also you know, think it, that when you only, when you always call fifteen fouls in a game that physical, that was not. That was that. That's. I'm sure people got touched way more than that, at, uh, over over fifteen times in that game. Uh, I. You know what? A controversy reigns supreme. You know, calling a foul in the last few minutes oh, of the game is always a controversial thing. But uh, I'm not. I, you know what? I'm not. I'm not in, in that group at all. I'm not. I think no? if somebody if somebody whacks somebody, uh, you got to call it. Otherwise, you're determining the game the other way. I'm definitely not in that group. I'm just saying that particular foul when you only call 15 the whole game is uh, was pretty cheap. Yep. Yep, yep, and then, uh, you know, markets are resilient, yep. um, you know, uh, you know, big tech, uh, a lot of side of that, flight to quality, you never thought that uh, cash cash cows like Apple, Microsoft, Google, you know, would lead us out of there, but uh, they're showing a little bit of weakness the last couple of days, but the rest of the market's holding up, and um, I just think if we don't have any more bank failures, we make it, we get a soft CPI number, uh, then we just got to worry about uh, Q1 earnings. And, uh, 
I'm not so confident that they're going to be great. Uh, even with the market, you know, the market is trading at a high valuation. So we're going to need some good earnings here, folks. We're, we're, we're not out of the woods by any means. Well, the, uh, the creatures and uh, CNBC yesterday, normally their, their market, you know, applauders. I've, I've never seen a group of people, uh, Grand Lack and a bunch of other guys, were talking about how the first time in their life they think the market is, is totally wrong, that the, the, the under, underpinnings of the economy are horrible, <laughs> and, and the, the market is just ahead of itself. And, and they, they brought out another couple of uh, instances where right before a recession the, the market rallied and seemingly oblivious to it, then all of a sudden you know, came to Jesus and uh, went the other way. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but it's the first time I've ever heard, I've ever heard that one after another, maybe because one guy said it, they all had to say it, but... Uh, normally, they you know, are basically saying, where, "Where's this tech really coming from?" I mean, it's uh, I don't know. It's, it's out of nowhere. I know, yeah. I know. I mean, if you look at it, uh, you know, like the main thing I've, that I've tried to say is, you know, the unemployment rate. You know, how's how's the unemployment rate? And man, they're they're cutting jobs right and left here. So I think those numbers are going to start to show up. Um, but like I said, Chief, I mean, you know, we're we're getting to the end of a quarter. Uh, you know, up on the year, uh, you know, great January, uh, you know, tanked in February, trying to, you know, climb out of the March. So uh, still green for the year, but uh, got some work to do. Well, we're basically where we were two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that, Chief, you know, being in yeah. the markets for a long time, and you know, you rip up, you rip down, you know, those are those are not the norm you know the norm is more of consolidating meandering markets and uh we got a lot of things going on besides the fed we got a lot yeah. of things going on so besides uh inflation so let's just get to it all let's right, get to q1 energy season all right, all right go blue all right take care of yourself sp is up 75 cents and the is up like 50 real the short norm. break then kenny paul carry are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708 403 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Well, it looks like we've had Kenny, but he's disappeared now. Well, he'll, he'll probably pop back in. Uh, SP futures are up two, and SP futures are up five. Uh, why don't you uh, tell him that we had him, and uh, and we had him. I'm, I will go over this deal here. 
yesterday, uh, those that listened, I mean, hope all of you did, uh, we, we, I talked about this deal with this First Citizens and, uh, and uh, Silicon Valley Bank. And it turns out that the, there's an article here today that I think it's, it's good reading for everybody by uh, Hugh Son, S-O-N, uh, Hugh Son. Um, he's talking about why the U.S. had to sweeten terms to get the SVB uh, deal done. Evidently, nobody really wanted this thing. Uh, First Citizens Bank shares acquiring $72 billion in Silicon Valley bank assets, a discount of $16.5 billion or 23%. So somebody had to pony up essentially $55 billion for $72 billion of the loans, the assets, okay, and, and for the uh, buildings. So there's 17 branches. And, and uh, the goodwill, I mean, when I say goodwill, there's a, there may not be great will, but there was... Uh, you know, there are still are some depositors, even though the depositors are not the same as, say, another bank. There still are some. But the, uh, evidently, this guy says the, uh, but even after the deal closes, the FDIC remains on the hook to dispose of the majority of SBV's assets, about $90 billion, which are being kept in receivership. Uh, the deal was getting stale, said former Federal Reserve Examiner Mark Williams. I think the FDIC realized that no, the longer this took, the more they'd have to discount it to entice somebody, because evidently there were not a whole lot of people piled in. But the uh, it, it doubles this first citizen's asset size, catapulting it to $219 billion in total assets, according to the bank's presentation, is gaining all the loans and deposits of SVP as well as 17 branches. Um, so they, the, uh, the other assets, meaning the, the uh, mortgage loans uh, that they bought, the, the, uh, from I think Goldman Sachs was the story, and the U.S. bonds evidently are sitting with the FDIC at the at the discounted rate, and they're probably going to let them run off, so they don't. But also, the uh, it says here even after the deal closed, the FDIC remains on the hook to dispose about 90 billion in SVP assets being kept in receivership. The sale ex- excludes investment securities, meaning the FDIC is stuck with FBC's, SVB's bonds that have dropped in value, which helps spark the firm's demise. So that all that's been taken out. They also agreed to, a, get a load of this, a five-year loss-sharing deal on commercial loans that First Citizens is taking over. So they got a discount, and they're getting a loss-sharing deal. So they'll share losses with them, and many of those lose, even after the discount. They, uh, they're also giving them $70 billion, uh, credit line in case customers pull more deposits, uh, which is a lot. Uh, also, yesterday, the, 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 uh, we were, I forget who I was on with, uh, John Flanagan, we were talking about where do these guys get, or Kevin, these guys, where do they get the, the $57 billion? Here we go. FDIC is also giving First Citizens a five-year, $35 billion loan at a 3.5% interest rate to help finance the deal. So there you go. Uh, in exchange, the FDIC is getting equity rights in the bank that will be worth up to $500 million. So they're going to give them a $35 billion loan. They're going to do a loss sharing. They're giving them a $70 billion line of credit. In exchange, if everything goes well, they're going to make $500 million back. I'd say this is one hell of a deal for these guys. No wonder their stock was up yesterday. Uh, so there you go. Um, and I, I don't know that it's a good or bad. I mean, I just think that that's... And, of course, the, the money is going to be paid out of uh, FDIC, which so the president, our president, can come out and say no taxpayers are going to lose any money on the deal, which is total BS because who, who do you think pays FDIC insurance? Everybody who, who does... Who has something in a bank, right? Like the bank, the, technically the banks pay it, but we all know the customers pay it. It's like saying when you go into a uh, a restaurant, well, that the, 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 the place pays tax on, on your bill. No, you do. 
at least in that place, they, they totally added to it. I mean, I wonder what would happen if a bank just every every year charged somebody, uh, you know, some percentage of their of their, which they sort of are. Instead of giving you one percent interest, they you know they could be giving you one point zero two if they didn't pay the FDIC number. So it, you 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 essentially are paying for that. So it's it's inaccurate to say that the, that uh, uh, taxpayers are not paying for this because they are. You're just saying. So you don't know Kenny back, eh? Andrew, no, he's still he's still gone. I've reached out to him, but I haven't heard anything yet. Yeah, I wonder what the, the story is there. But the uh, um, so they still have Deutsche Bank um, is appears to have uh, that that's gone away all weekend. Uh, uh, they were talking about how they, they were really a lot were pretty strong, and uh, and there's no reason why anybody would have you know sort of done what they did. But uh, you know, I'm not I'm not so sure on that. But the uh, the uh, the guys that uh, the, the, all these people evidently were very few bidders. If it, you know, maybe a couple for his SVP. A lot of people uh, hope to make a bid on his First Republic, uh, but that's that's still going. They're not, they're not under yet, so that's the one everybody wants. And you know, I, I was kind of explaining yesterday, and I'm not a, a super bank expert, but this SVC is was a very unusual sort of bank in that it, their their depositors aren't like everybody else's. Um, when I say that, the most depositors are the 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 company, the banks. I mean, if you have a, uh, if you have a, uh, you know, First National Bank of uh, Palatine, and all of a sudden the one in Rolling Meadows goes under for some reason, some bad loan, they they will uh, be happy to entertain taking over that bank because the the customer base is probably very close to what they have in Palatine. Very close to what they're dealing with. The depositors are probably almost exactly the same, and uh, you're not going to lose a whole lot of deposits if all of a sudden you're going to you're now the first bank of Palatine. Uh, and, and and I don't and I think you're, you know, the 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 uh, plumber and the electrician that you gave a loan to, that they gave a loan to, are the same people you would give a loan to. You know, whatever loan they gave, that fallen or like Kevin was saying yesterday, a lot of people they get bad loans because they buy in these brokered loans. A small bank. Gets to you say to yourself, what do they do with their money? Uh, well, it, it, when I was younger, they would they would do a lot of car loans. They do things like that, and they don't really do that anymore. It all comes out of uh, which really, by the way, should be an antitrust problem, but it, but it's not. Uh, and uh, I mean, because the 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 whatever the motor company gives the bank in a way of a discount to give somebody. Uh, zero interest loan on a car that should be that's essentially a rebate that rebate should be available to everybody not just the the loan place that they direct you to um, and that's clearly a, in my opinion a clearly a, uh, a Clayton Act violation and it, um, let me explain how this works if, if you buy a car for 50 grand and they say zero interest for five years or seven years clearly nobody's going to give you a loan for five or seven years for zero interest so where's the money coming from? The the Kia, the uh, I was almost going to say Oldsmobile. I'll show my age. The Kia, the Ford, the Chevy, whoever it is, dealer, somebody somewhere is feeding that loan to either GMAC or somebody, somebody preferred. You know, for GMAC to say, why would I give a loan for five years at zero interest? Because I'm giving you four thousand bucks. You dummy, shut up and give the loan. Okay, now I'll do it. So the point being, it's not competitive. Where if if you were to take the four thousand dollar check over to 
First Republic or Lakeside or, or uh, you know, name the bank and say, what kind of interest would you give me on a five-year loan? They may say, we'll pay you. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you a zero interest, in, zero interest loan, and by the way, here's 500 bucks. Because, but that, it, it should not, that, you know, that vertical type of integration is, is, I think, illegal by the Clayton Act. But, of course, Clayton Act. And then now, is anybody, gonna, is anybody going to uh, go after that in, our, in, the, in the way our government is today? Hell no. If you're big enough, you do whatever you damn well please. And that's what, you know, Brendan and I were talking about earlier. It's all over the place. That, that should absolutely, it should be, if you buy a car, and when I was younger, this is the way it was, it should be 0% financing for five years or a $5,000 rebate. That's the way, if you don't finance the car, you shouldn't get stuck on that. You should, you should get whatever it is if you're going to go finance it. Now, of course, if I were to say that on national TV, they'd say, what is this guy talking about? But, but that's, somehow we've, we seem to have lost the ability to economically look at these things and say that's not right. Uh, but, it, you know, it's a small thing. I mean, it, but, but the guy who actually writes a check out for the car, I mean, technically, for economically, he's an idiot. Right? Because the only way he can get the four or five grand is to get the loan. So he's really better off putting the putting the seventy grand for the car someplace. Well he could give it if he if he gave it to PTI and we and we plunked it into a six month T bulbs for the next five years, he'd be money ahead. You know, so he he'd be way off he'd be better off doing that and, and taking the money from the T bill and turn around and paying these people. So I mean or or mean uh, I mean that's just or actually I B I think is paying three and a half. So you, you should never write a check for that car. You should put it at IB or a bank or someplace or have us put it in a, in a T-bill and, and, and the interest, take, take the interest and, uh, and, uh, in your pocket and pay them off. I mean, there's no, it's, but how many people do that? I mean, it's, I mean it, it, you know, it's some work, but the interest, if you're paying 7 8% on a $70,000 loan, I mean, what, what is that a year? Well, ten percent is seven grand, so five percent is thirty-five hundred. Why? Why would you give that up? I mean, that's that's what they're that's what they're willing to give you. I mean, it's it's pretty crazy when you see all this stuff happening. And if you're you know you're trained in economics, which I think some people are, you look at it and you go, how the hell did they get away with that? But but they do. SP futures down a buck, Nasdaq futures up a buck seventy-five. I don't see anything really uh really moving that much. Walgreens uh, came out with pretty good earnings, up fifty-six cents. That's WBA Walgreens Booth Alliance. They're paying $33.50. Uh, we did a spread in there yesterday, so who knows? We might have a winner. We'll be right back. Uh, Professor Hal Snarm. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. 
Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something happening here. Well, I'm Jackson. I'm tomorrow. Andrew on the board. SP futures down two and a quarter now. NASDAQ futures down a buck. So nothing much moving. Uh, we, uh, they say yesterday wasn't much of a day either, but they have a little bit of a turn around in the sense that the Qs were actually down. They've been leading the market, and the, and the Russell was up, which has been getting hammered. So there's been a huge uh, disparity in how these indices have moved this year. Uh, I don't know. I can't really opine on whether that's healthy, not healthy, or whatever, but the small, the small caps have been going down a lot, and the other guys have been going up. So do we have the professor? Morning, Tom. How are you, bud? Uh, I was up late last night. We had uh, advisement week, and uh, <laughs> I advised about 100 students. Uh, <laughs> Did you advise them, in, like, in the local pub or in, just in a regular? No, just uh, looking up their uh, transcripts and their, the courses they've taken to what they have to take and um, – Emailing them uh, what I think their schedule should be, and then uh, they email me back and I tweak it, and then I send out a web alert, and then the registrar or the student services uh, signs up for the classes that's in the uh, in the recommendation. But it's, it's a lot of work, so I've been doing that for like five days straight, six days straight. Why can't you get a, a, a table at a bar and come sit next to you one one after another? <laughs> Well, uh, I was at work till six last night. And I forgot to bring my lunch, and New York City is pretty expensive. So, I, w- I went straight home. My mother-in-law made dinner, and and I sat in a lazy boy listening, trying to listen to the financial news in the background. But uh, yeah, I just had to work till probably one o'clock. So I got wow. about four hours of sleep last night. Well, how come uh, New York? I always found. Uh, I mean, who knows what it's like after COVID? But one of the guys who was out there, was some guy from the SIBO, and the guy says to me. He always used to refer to my acronym was TPH, and he goes, "Oh, TPH, what kind of city is this?" His first time he was there, I just this is this is a long time ago. I just paid fifteen bucks for the worst omelet I ever had, and then I walked out in the street. I was still hungry. I had the best hot dog I ever had for two bucks. 
off of street food. <laughs> there's a uh, veteran who uh, sells hot dogs up by, I think, the Metropolitan Museum. And I was reading this article, and he's been using a law that was on the books just after the Civil War. And apparently veterans don't have to buy a license. Really? Uh, to sell uh, in carts parked on the streets. And apparently the license fee was like, everybody else on that street, it was like $100,000 or something. It's crazy wow. how much money the license was. And this guy was able to, because he wasn't paying that license fee, his costs were lower, and he was able to get. Hell, you must be you must be moving away from you must be moving away oh. from your microphone. You're fading in and out. Oh, I am. Yeah, is that better? That's better. Okay. Well, I, I yeah, often wondered. Good. I mean, I just as yeah. a as a as a dude from Chicago where you don't see much of this, if any, I often thought it was kind of odd that somebody could pay the rent for like a restaurant in New York and have somebody set up shop in front of you for free selling hot dogs. But yeah, yeah, the the brick mortar stores don't really like it too much. It it goes back to. Uh, I don't know if you remember Eric Garner, but he was selling Lucy cigarettes in front of bodegas, and the bodega owners were complaining about guys selling Lucy's, and then the mayor um, puts together these uh, thugs, task force people, to go out and bust people selling Lucy's, and these guys uh, end up choking Eric Garner to death. Well, the backstory to that is, the reason why this happens is because New York City has the highest taxes on cigarettes probably in the nation. And as a result, the black market in cigarettes it makes the legal market uh, tiny. And here's the interesting thing is, uh, when I was in North Carolina teaching at a, a historically black college, 95% um, black students, a white student told me that her uncle on an, uh, goes to Native American Indian Reservation in Pembroke, North Carolina, buys cigarettes tax-free and sells them, or sorry, she buys them and then sells them to her uncle on Long Island, who then uh, sells them via these guys selling Lucy's. Wow. So that's that's why I argue against, um, when people say let's legalize drugs, what they're saying is let's legalize them, regulate the heck out of them, and tax them really high. That's not going to work. What you have to do is just legalize them and then regulate and tax them like regular commerce and then you destroy the black market you destroy the cartels well the uh there's still i'm not i haven't seen anybody busted on tv in a while but uh maybe because um i i think cigarette smoking is down quite a bit i don't see very many yeah, people it is. well yeah new york city yeah. is down because marijuana smoking is up well that's yeah it's, you're, you're doing the rest there but uh but i mean <laughs> there, you'd always see people you know being busted coming across the state from indiana because it's the tax there is so much cheaper, guys, you know, buying 50 cartons and stuff and coming over here and either for their own use or their neighbors or people in their building or whatever. But a lot of it wasn't for resale on the street, but the uh, <clears throat> but it was, you know, it was still being done. It's I, I, There's a pretty huge tax discrepancy between Indiana and uh, in Illinois. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a big uh, difference in taxes between, uh, what, Massachusetts and I think it was Rhode Island. Or uh, Connecticut, uh, maybe it was New Hampshire, but uh, a, a politician who probably voted for these laws uh, went across the state out of Massachusetts to buy alcohol, and he had a lot of it. He got busted for bringing it back into the state. Well, I mean, Illinois always was 
fairly cheap on uh, alcohol. So whenever <laughs> my Italian family from Columbus had trundle up here to visit, they always went home with three, four bottles of Canadian Club or something. <laughs> they, they, actually, they, they like the Crown Royal for coffee royals. You ever have a coffee royal? I don't remember that. Oh, it's, a, it's an Italian I, I was drink. Never, I, I could never handle liquor or um, like vodka or anything like that. I couldn't handle any of that. I, I have two beers and uh, if they're micro beers, if I had two of them, I might be blacked out. Oh, God. My, my nickname in the Navy was Two Beers, so... <laughs> Well, I, I drove my uh, grandmother down there for a funeral. This was a long time ago. Whenever I got when I got my driver's license, she was like uh, freed. Right, whenever she needed to go somewhere, I took her. So I go down there. I'm, I'm you know I was in college. I was probably twenty twenty one, and I head down and uh, you know we not like we hadn't been drinking right. Uh, so all, all all the cousins come over because my grandmother was like the matriarch, the oldest female. So the minute she showed up, everybody's come visit right. So they pile in, and, and of course, on goes the coffee pot, and they're making coffee royals. So the coffee royal is a, like a big shot of, Canadian, of Crown Royal, some coffee, and then a shot of Anazette, which is pretty much awful. So I, I laid off the Anazette. It's a licorice liqueur. I, I can't do that. But all the ladies love it. Anyway, so, so I had about four or five of these things. Then I'm trying to sleep. Well, between f- the five cups of coffee and the five shots of booze, I'm like... This is just swell. You're like you're like trashed and you're wide awake. It's like, it's like how anybody could drink these before they went to bed on, on a regular basis. I have no idea. Well, in graduate school at the, uh, I think it was at the uh, at the bar that all the PhD candidates hung out. I think they served uh, a beer that was like, I think it was a micro beer, like a porter or something, or an oatmeal stout, which has like eight percent alcohol in it, and oh, they yeah. mixed it with uh, like. Starbucks coffee, and to me it was the nastiest thing I ever tasted. But again, I had one that night, and I, I couldn't sleep at all either. Quick, quick story: Mayor Daly, the former Mayor Daly, used to be a a member of our club. Well, we remember his club. We were in the same club. It wasn't like it was our club, but he was an interloper. Uh, the Buckingham Athletic Club. They had all the pals used to be in there. Him and uh, the sheriff and people like that. So we were all members. And on Friday night, my brother, who makes his own beer, and he makes really good stuff. They, you know, he would bring some down. He'd bring like a cooler down on the train. On the train. What about, you know, maybe 16 bottles of this, you know, 16 ounce bottles, big bottles of his, his home brew. And they would, they would serve that. And nobody would buy anything from the bar. And Dan would just serve his beer. And of course, we'd all leave a big, huge tip. And everybody's happy, right? I mean, some guys drink something other than his beer. But uh, the mayor's in there because of the party, his the lady who was his, uh, I don't know, his workout lady. I was leaving from Upper Michigan, and she's a really terrific lady. And uh, anyway, so he's in there, and he has like two or three of these beers. Well, my brother forgot to tell him they're like nine percent booze. You know, these beers. <laughs> Daily, Daily's telling me about how he had to go to some big function that night, and all of a sudden you hear, "Geez, uh, what do you think of those White Sox?" And I'm going, "Oh God, he had, he had one too many." <laughs> I don't think he made it to his, but it was a, a, a untruth in the lady. He wasn't driving or anything. He had his, his driver, but. I don't think he ever had three beers that strong in, uh, in his life, but he 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 was loving them. He thought they were great. Let's just say a good time was had by all that night. As everybody just piled on the train, thank God, except for him, he had a driver. Yeah, the problem with beer is when you pasteurize. I think you lose a lot of the flavor. I think as long as it's fresh. Yeah. You, I mean, when I was in the Navy, I, I would go to the Rainier Brewery, and Rainier beer was not very tasty. At least I didn't think it was. But I'll tell you, at the brewery, when you take those tours and they give you those free samples. It was it was really good. It was before they had pasteurized it, and and fresh beets 
pasteurized. Oh yeah, yeah. We had this. Uh, we had. Uh, remember, there there used to be a uh, when there was the trading floors and all the firms. There used to be a a, a rag sheet, for lack of a better term. It was like a who's who who got in trouble at all the different companies. Like there was a futures one, there was an options one. They were all in the same office, right? So there was like four rag sheets. One was for all the firms in New York. So if you if you got fined for anything, your name was in this thing and whatever. So you know it was basically a tell-all for the industry. It's long gone. One of the ladies who worked there, her first name was Neve, Neve something something, and uh, so she, Doctor Chain and I go out to New York and first. She finds him, and we're out, and uh, it's long before he was married. But then nothing happened anyway, but she was so funny, it was scary. I said to her, she just come back from Ireland. And I go, uh, Neve, I've heard, what's the food like in Ireland? She goes, Tom, when you can walk across the beer, who needs food? Something to do. The beer was so so strong and so full of carbs that you didn't need to eat, basically. <laughs> okay, then. So I never, got, bread. Yeah, I, never, I never got... Yeah, I never got the report on the... So, hey... Uh, this is all well and good. Uh, what, what do you what do you make of the the quote? You and I have been talking now for years. The underpinnings of a lot of this stuff. What do you make of this this banking crisis? I, I more I read about this Silicon Valley Bank, I'm somewhat convinced, Hal, that the, that it's kind of a one off. That was sort of a, a a bank unto itself. I mean, I, I'm really surprised they found somebody to take it over. But now that I was reading all the details earlier, they gave these people so much to take it over. Uh, you know that they. You know, they might as well not even have done it, but but this, but say they did it. Somebody wanted the seventeen branches and so forth, but I don't think I've ever heard of a bank with eighty-seven and a half percent of the deposits are uninsured. That everybody was a big shot, and they were all they were doing is raising money for people with all kinds of, uh, shall we say, incentives to keep big chunks of money in a bank. That why would you do that? I I, I never heard anything anything like that. Or maybe there's more like that that I just don't know about. But I'm not as worried about that one. I'm just in general worried about the state of just about everybody, you know, which is, you know, what I do. But over the last three years, you and I agree, you goose the the, the money supply 35%, you goose the prices 35%, the people who are getting nothing in the bank basically lost 35% on, the, on their wealth. And, oh, by the way, the people who bought all these, the, that bought the bonds, not the people who were able to put them out there, was a huge change. I mean, the government made out like a bandit. Microsoft, Apple, all these other people may not like Bandit's been able to finance that cheaply, and all of a sudden, the rest of the world is basically screwed. And I'm going to say it's the single biggest distancer between the upper and other classes that I think I've ever seen or read about. Is that a? Oh yeah. Is, is that a very? Is that is that a yeah, fair I, assessment, or am I being totally one-dimensional here? I agree 100. percent I actually wrote an article about this for the Mrs. Wire about how the Fed is the engine that drives. The gap between the rich and the poor, it, it does because what is what a cheap interest rates uh, trick uh, poor people, middle-income people to do? Well, they buy consumer goods with uh, their credit cards. Right? Yeah. They live beyond their means. They don't they don't save. What do rich people do with low interest rates? Well, they can borrow on margin and buy all kinds of assets. A billionaire is not going to buy uh, a property um, with um, cash, he's going to leverage that because if you leverage it, um, and you expect that that asset to go up ten percent in a year, uh, and we just keep it simple, it, it, there's no interest on the loan, um, it, because you know maybe the, the interest rate they're paying equals the rate of inflation, so there's 
the real rate of interest is zero. That asset goes up 10% in a year. They sell it for cash and they leverage it with 1% uh, down. Uh, they can get like a, I don't know, two, I haven't done this in a while, but they can get like 100 to 200% return on that asset. Oh, yeah, right? without a doubt. Yeah. So that that's what the Fed does. And that's what, that's how the rich get richer. And, the, and that's why the poor and the middle class get crushed because they're, they're going paycheck to paycheck with this inflation. And uh, they're using credit to buy their, their wants and their needs. And it's probably creating a moral hazard in the fact that they, um, use cheap credit to buy consumer goods, whether their needs or wants, right? And then with regard to Silicon Valley Bank, I mean, you got interest rates at zero for almost 20 years. Yeah. Well, 15 years or so. You had interest rates at 0%. They're actually negative in real terms if you account for inflation. And what does that create? It creates all kinds of moral hazard. Heck, everybody is a genius when interest rates are negative in real terms. Everybody's a genius, right? So you don't have to be very careful with people's money. And I think that's what Silicon Valley did. You, you can be magnanimous. It, you can be political. When things are good and, and interest rates are low, but I'll tell you, all that, all those malinvestments, all those political decisions that the, the loan officers were making at this bank, th- those chickens are come home to roost. And w- we see all the malinvestments that low interest rates created. You don't, re- you don't see them until interest rates have to return to more normal levels. Well, now how is how is uh, I think it's going to get worse. Um, a couple of questions from your your economic research. How is it that they were able to uh, keep interest rates so high on the on credit cards and stuff that normal people paid? That that stuff never went down at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I would, well, would guess it would. I mean, the the, the Fed. If they really cared about the health of society and how lower interest rates were going to help out, they would have forced it down the system. And I don't think they ever did. I, I don't. I'm not so sure that. Uh, I mean, you know, I have to say, it must have gone down a little bit. I'm not so sure that the the Hallen Chief Plumbing Company or Electric Company, they wanted to go out and buy more inventory or another plumbing van. I'm not so sure we ever were able to get anything below eight or nine or ten percent. Were we? Plus, we had a price sign over our house. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like well, we got stuff at three percent, like like Microsoft. Well, I think what kind of what happens is these banks. Th- this is not a free market system. No, this is a centrally planned system, and so um, I think what happens is you have so these banks are so huge and so powerful. They have market power. It's not competitive in the least bit, and I think what happens is. They're making negative their 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 interest rates on these big loans are negative to these prime borrows. The interest rate is negative. So how do they offset that? I think the thing is they offset it by charging higher interest rates on those who have poor credit or um, have fewer assets or have less ability to pay. I think that's what's kind of driving that. Well, I think it all has to if do with we had a market system. If we had a market system, I think those rates would have come down. But well, we also have the insanity of Dad Frank. Where in order, yeah. to, in order to save the banks, they gave them an excuse where, if if, if poor Hal comes in and wants his fourth plumbing truck, they're going to go, ah oh, man, it's got to be like eight or nine percent. Oh, by the way, you got to sign over your house, even though they they, they force you into the system. 
Yet Microsoft or Amazon says, "Well, screw that. We're just going to go out and we're going to get we're going to go out for a, for a bond issue, and, and we're going to get a twenty year bond for three. Per- you can go right around the system. The, the the rest of the people are forced into the system, yeah. which they made more and more difficult to to deal with. Yeah. I mean, if you if you want a regular loan versus a credit card and want eight percent instead of nineteen, they're going to force you to jump through every hoop on earth. But as to why you should ever give a personal guarantee to a to a corporate loan, you know, and especially for a company that's been making every payment on schedule for thirty years, is insanity to me. I mean, it, yeah, the, uh, the the big banks face competition, like you said, they face competition when you're um, talking about prime borrowers who have access to bond markets. They face competition, so they're 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 charging, you know, more of a market rate, whereas. Uh, the little people, the regular folks, the guys with the with three vans want a fourth van for their cleaning business. Yeah, they have they have to go to the the bank for that right. loan. They don't have any choices outside of that. No, and the bank is going to say, oh, because of all the regulation, because of this and that and everything, we still got to charge eight or ten percent. Yeah, even though well, we definitely don't. In that email you guys were circulating um, amongst us, um, the one thing I would say is, like I said last week. Of in a free society where competition is encouraged and embraced, in a free society where people can freely enter and exit markets um, depending on what kind of return they're getting on their investment, if there's true, uh, if in truly free markets, what you would see is falling prices. And that's the opposite of what we have. So we, we do not, we live in the illusion of freedom. We think we have freedom. Uh, until the state thinks we've used too much of our freedom, and then they go in and they, uh, the IRS raids or questions um, Matt Levy or uh, the state police in Ohio raid a rapper's um, home, uh, accusing him of drug trafficking. Right. So we live we live in a in a in a country where we think there's freedom, when in fact. That's an illusion, and we have very little freedom. Well, but but you end up, uh, but that's, it's not all that. I, I guess it's predictable if you read anything from Thomas Jefferson. By the way, we're not supposed to re- uh, recite him anymore because he did, did do some bad stuff. Uh, he would say that you know you need a revolution every how many years because uh, eventually you know the, the state takes over. But 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 it's but it comes from being personal, uh, Hal. I mean, how many people do you know? I mean, there are good people, and I'm going to say you know. There might even be a few, few good professors around. But most people think that competition is the greatest thing in the world for every industry but the one you're in. And in exactly. Your, but in, your, in the industry you're in, it's, it's cutthroat competition. The guy's doing it because, yeah. you know, he's not paying his people enough or he's not doing this or he's not paying himself enough like I want to pay myself. I mean, it's, it's a whole different... But I, I, my, I, my, one of my questions, and I'm going to get your opinion on this in a second because I'm looking at our tax brackets. Uh, is there ever... Have you ever... I've, I've stopped doing this kind of research when I was doing the show and managing money and stuff. But I used to read a lot about economic history, and I, I should start doing that again, I know. But has there ever been any place who dropped, that dropped interest rates? I'm not talking dropping them from 8 to f- eight to 7 or to 6 or 5.5, where you and I could say that if you can do that, it's, it's accretive and probably better for the economy. Uh, have you ever heard of anybody dropping them from... Three percent to, let's say zero or point five or negative, where that actually helped anything. I mean, did these guys have any 
history or research on their side, either here or in Europe, because Europe they went negative. And, it, and some people here were absolutely all over it, saying we got to go to negative. Is there any history of that any place where that worked to anybody's benefit? I mean, benefit of a society in a whole. I, I, I don't, I can't think of one instance. Can you? Well, the way you get those low interest rates is you pump out a lot of money, you print a right. lot of money, right? Right. So in the in the history of the world, anytime you print out a lot of money like that, whether it's in Sichuan, China, with I think the currency is called the Chow Two, it was a uh, before the, the, the banknotes, before the state took over the banknotes, the Chow Tu was an iron coin with a hole in it. And you'd walk around with uh, your coins on a rope uh, around your waist. And because, uh, you know, they get heavy, somebody decides to put them in a, a safe place, which we call a bank, and that bank issued a receipt. Well, those receipts started uh, trading as money. And then the government centralized that money and they had a hyperinflation. And this is, I think, 1100. Um, I, I think it was about 1100 when that, that happened. So in the history of the world, anytime the state uh, prints a bunch of money, which will cause interest rates to fall, uh, you have inflation and hyperinflation. So it just doesn't work. History has shown that it doesn't work. And you and I were talking about this uh, monetary mon modern monetary theory before it was actually implemented and we were talking about how it's inflationary. Guess what? It's inflationary. Yeah. Why? Because when you when you when you pump the system up with all these um, print dollars, when you print a bunch of money, whether you digitize it or you physically print it, it, it makes that currency worth less and less and less until it's worthless. Well, how, how does everybody? When I say everybody, I do mean pretty much everybody, except for some of the creatures on this show. And actually, there used to be a couple guys on CNBC used to talk about. It, and I haven't seen them anymore. How, how does? How does the money supply, how does the amount of money in the system and what the Fed's done and their balance sheet, how is that topic totally off limits for economists everywhere? Once in a while you hear, you'll see uh, the old guy from uh, Wharton talk about it, but I mean, how is it that that's not front and center on everything? I mean, in the last week, just, just so uh, people get a handle on this, the Federal Reserve balance sheet, which is not the same as the money supply, by the way, but it, it's somewhat indicative. On Wednesday, April 13, 2022, we tapped out at 8965. The, the Fed has done nothing but tell everybody now for a year how they're going to drop, they're going to decrease the size of the balance sheet. And to their word, they have done so. They've gone from 8965 down to, let's see, three weeks ago, we're down to 8339. So we're down uh, 300 and, uh, $630 billion on the balance sheet. In the last three weeks, we're back up to uh, 8733. So we've picked up 75% of the entire drop in the last three weeks. I have not heard one person even mention it. You know? I mean, how mm -hmm. much? That's an incredible amount of money poured back in the system. Now, if I'm not, you know, I'm not, I couldn't go to work for the Federal Reserve tomorrow, but I know that with the bank stuff happening, uh, there, there would be somewhat of a normal contraction in the money supply because of what people are doing, pulling stuff out of banks and so forth. Um, if they do that, the Fed would have to add a little bit just to keep it even. But hell, they're, they're almost back to the top here, for God's sake, in three weeks. How has that not even been a topic? We'll, we'll cover this one after the break, but I mean, it, it's insanity that, that this is this is not even a piece of news. S&P futures down 375, NASDAQ futures down 475. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. 
How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading options ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom He's Andrew on the board. SP Futures uh, now down 550. We were almost flat across the board when we came in. They were up a little last night. Not anymore. Nasdaq Futures down 16, but still very, very light to the downside. Dow Futures down six. Uh, earnings last night in uh, in Walgreens. Uh, WBA it's up 50 cents, so nothing much going on there tonight. We have uh, Micron and Lululemon, which will, that'll be interesting. <laughs> that thing always moves. Uh, we'll see if anything, anything happens in there tonight. Over in Europe, we've got Dex up 30 points, 0.2 percent. FTSE up 9.1 percent. Cagron up 16.2 percent. So uh, not much there, but to the upside, what, what is there? Kneecap 41.1 percent. Hang Seng flipping back to the upside here today, up 216, 1.1, 19,784. Shanghai down 6.2%, so relatively quiet over in Asia. Yesterday, we had the Dow up 194, S&P up 8, NASDAQ down 55, so kind of a 
mixed bag, uh, I'd say maybe to the positive a little bit. Uh, bonds, 10-year up one basis point, 3.54. Bund up four basis points, 2.27. Japan up five basis points, 3.3, I'm sorry, 0.35. As their range now is between 0.25 and 0.5, and right in the middle of it. Uh, we've got oil, which is states a rally the last few days, up 13 cents, 72.94. Coming off that 67.68. Now, guys, of course, are, are talking about being bullish oil again. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, Brent up 14 cents, 78.26. Natural gas down 2 cents, 206. Uh, Arbob, I mean, if natural gas goes under 2, that'll really be something after being 950 at the beginning of the year. Uh, Arbob down 1 penny, 269. We've got gold up 11.20 now, 19.65. It keeps running up here. 2000 it's whacked back and then heading back up so i have some people think it's going to break through some people think it's going to be like whack-a-mole at 2000 forever so we'll see which one of those guys wins silver up 15 cents 2330 copper unchanged 407 we've got crypto bitcoin down 116 26929 if the u.s dollar is about as low as it's been in a while uh with the, the pound is now 123 and the euro's back to 108 so i'm going to say that's a uh, a high for both of those and a low for the dollar for, for quite a while. When I say quite a while, a couple of months. Andrew, what do you got for us, Trevi Weather Sports? All right, it is 7.34 here in Chicago on March 28th. Starting off with sports with some hockey. Last night, the Coyotes lost to the Oilers, ending their game 5 over 4. But tonight, we can watch the Blackhawks play the Stars at 7.30 p.m. Chicago I think time. I won't do that. Hmm, what was that? I think I won't do that. Yeah, probably not. Uh, and then uh, last night in the NBA, the Suns won over the Jazz, ending their game 117 to 103. But the Bulls lost to the Clippers, ending 124 over 112. Moving on to Chicago weather, it is currently 31 degrees, partly sunny. Can't say I've seen that one very often. Uh, but we're going to have a high of 48 today. And over in Phoenix, we're at 47 degrees, clear skies. And they're going uh, to have a high of 80 degrees today. Now, finally, for Chicago traffic, uh, a lot of red today, especially coming in from the south side on the 94. Um, but specific, specific things to note is on the outbound Stevenson uh, near California Avenue, a disabled vehicle is blocking the center lane, causing some delays on the way out. Um, as mentioned earlier, a uh, exit ramp connecting the Tri-State Tollway and the Eisenhower Expressway is closed, causing pretty heavy delays over there. And the construction on the Kennedy is going to be causing pretty heavy delays for probably a while. Right now, it's going all the way from Austin Avenue to, uh, let's see, it looks like Greenview Avenue. That's all the way inbound. So that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. Just, just living around here. Just living around here. So, Hal, what do you make of that uh, big jump in the balance sheet in the last three weeks? Yeah, you were talking about why economists don't uh, speak out against it. And I think it goes back to the history of what a PhD is. PhDs came out of Germany, and uh, they spread. I think they first came to uh, George uh, John Hopkins University, and then they spread throughout the United States. But uh, Professor Heigl, um, he is Marx's predecessor, and a lot of Marx's communism comes out of Heigl's work. And what Heigl did is he kind of secularized Jesus out of communism, the the uh, utopian socialist, the Christian movement's experiments in uh, He secularized Jesus out of that uh, by extending Jesus becoming God to mankind becoming God 
through the acquisition of knowledge. And so he transferred the state. He called the state the divine ideal on earth. And he created, he created this religion, the state. And it ended the alienation of mankind and God with their unification in what he dubbed man-god. So man can become God through the acquisition of knowledge, right? And presidents like Wilson and Nixon, uh, they're Hegelians in my opinion. They're, they're priests in this religion. They use this, this new religion to pose morality on the people with prohibitions on alcohol and drugs. And his Hegel's statement, the state is the march of God through the world, is the motto of American foreign policy, right? So Democrats and Republicans, in my opinion, are the, the priests of this religion, right? Clinton, Obama, Reagan, and Trump, they're the priests of this religion. And if you're a PhD economist and and it is in your best interest, whether you're conservative or progressive, it is in your interest to view economics through the lens of this religion. And I think that's why there's such uniformity amongst PhD economists. You don't see many dissenting voices. When, when economists dissent, I tell you, their economic opportunities are very limited. So I think that's why there's such uniformity amongst these economists, because these PhD economists go through the PhD program and they do dissertations in a way that um, the statistics they use, the models they use, confirm their biases whether they're conservative or progressive. And then these dissertations and their writings help the politicians they side with sell their ideas. Well, so you think it is... Honest, in my opinion, are snake oil salesmen. Well, do you think they're... It, it, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I won't say I refuse to believe. By the way, I do think Karl Marx was wrong in one thing. Well, he was probably wrong in a lot of things, but he mentioned that uh, religion was the opiate of the people. Mm-hmm. I think he was wrong. I think it's sports. I think it's football. Well, yeah. Well, the, the state is also the opiate of the people, too, right? The state um, socializes everybody's losses. So I think, I think state, the state has become a religion. It is the opiate of the people, I think. And as long as you get your cut of it, um, you're probably going to be fine with state intrusion in your life, as long as you get a little piece of the action. Well, you know, I, I'm gonna, I think the I'm state... Gonna, I, I shouldn't be doing this because... Uh, because you're, you, I mean, you, sometimes you like you like to wander off into this, you know, economic religion in hinterland. But I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna give you a a, a berry here. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna send you one right down the middle in softball. I'm gonna say, okay, I like this guy. I'm gonna send him one right down the middle. You know, it's it's funny. I'm I have a if people haven't figured it out, I've had a, had a very odd background in that I'm incredibly blue collar from where I grew up. Yet I went to school at places that were not blue collar. Well, Notre Dame was at the time. University of Chicago clearly was not. Uh, so I, I have this this kind of odd view of the world that combines both of those. And in the uh, the inflation work I did back in the original inflation era, the seventies, early seven, well, the mid seventies and eighties, um, hell, I I was able to kind of put two and two together on this because it was obvious to me out of the get go that when the uh, 68 was what we went off the we went off the gold standard and started yeah, and started uh, sprinkling money into the system 
essentially to inflate our way out of the Vietnam War, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you look back at it. And, uh, and then you started having, and, and it's surprising to me that you have uh, people opine that are younger than me. Uh, doesn't make them good or bad. It's just that they didn't see this, the whole part of it like I did. Uh, they, they constantly talk about wage inflation, and nothing is a bigger, a bigger load of crack of crap than, than that argument. Agree with you 100% on that. Because the wage inflation only happened after years of the other inflation, re- regular money supply inflation, to where the unions finally got, first of all, you had to wait for the contract to come up. and probably didn't even get it the first time, but the second time you said, this is BS. We want a cost of living increase because this is going up every year, no matter what kind of raise we get. In two years, it's, it's toast. So they finally woke up, and, and to the point where the companies couldn't even argue with them. It was so obvious, right? So, yep. yeah, the, finally in the last years, I'm going to say the inflation era was 68 when it started, what would you put it, 83? I'm going to say maybe by 77, people started getting, 76 at the earliest, started getting some kind of inflation clauses in their contract. So they were already... I'm going to say seven, eight years behind. So now, you, now you've got them. But I, I will say that the way the CPI is is ridiculously calculated and has this huge delaying tactic, maybe the last six months of that whole 14-year period, there actually was hell some wage inflation because there really wasn't any other inflation, yet it was still percolating its way through the CPI where guys were now getting maybe their last quarter or two of raises they didn't really deserve because there really was no well, CPA. But, no, let me, let me, but let me, uh, I'm, I'm a long way like I usually am toward a point here. But the thing I also used to do at the time, Hal, I didn't do very many of them, but some of my buddies at Pullman and so forth, a few of us did income taxes for people. Okay, and, and in those days, the, I'm going to say it was the Reagan or before that era, Carter era, actually it was the Nixon era, uh, no, because Nixon was gone. Because I had voted for, for Jerry Ford when I was in college. But, but there were there were how many different tax brackets? Like fifteen. It was a, an immense amount. If you ever want to see, go back to like a income tax return, nineteen seventy four, and look at it. I mean, every time you went from fifteen thousand to sixteen five, your rate went up, right? It'll yeah. be sixteen. If you're if you're fifteen thousand rate, it would be, you know, eight percent plus. Nine percent of the up of the difference between now and sixteen five and sixteen five it'd be you know this number plus ten percent of the rate it was, it was every 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 two three thousand bucks at the most your rate went up so if there was a, an instance where somebody who started this whole mess making twelve thousand and now at the end of the decade is making twenty, which put him right dead even at best with inflation, he's now paying a way bigger chunk of his salary to the federal government in terms of income tax. And more to the state, if the states had it, which I'm mean, had it at the time. So the biggest winner, this whole mess, Hal, has been the, is, is the federal government. Because they keep getting a higher and higher percentage of your... And now, then we had a big I'll say revolution against that. And part of that was Reagan. I'll, I'll give him credit. We went down to what? We were down to, we were down to three... Brackets, yeah. or something like that. And now, it was twenty-eight. Yeah, I think we're down to we're down to like three brackets or something. And now we're back up to I, I will look at this right here. Uh, tax brackets. Now we're up to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We're back up to seven. 
So um, for those that don't realize it, if you make 41775 or less, okay, um, your, your, your number is 12%. If you make forty-one seven seven six to eighty-nine, your number is twenty-two percent. So some guy that for ten years has not gotten a raise and he's making, um, you know, pick a number. He's making fifteen dollars an hour. And whenever you want to know, uh, I think Hal, Chris, the world has changed, but uh, it used to be two thousand eighty hours in a year, right? So essentially, multiply your hourly rate times two thousand, and you got your yearly rate. So if somebody's making fifteen grand. They're making thirty thousand plus eighty hours, and they're 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 being taxed at twelve percent, right? So now all of a sudden we have all this inflation, and we have a thirty-five percent kick from from you, and all of a sudden now the guy's making fifty thousand, right? So now he's going to be paying twenty-two percent on his last nine thousand, not twelve. So the the beneficiary there of like a thousand bucks or fifteen hundred or more is going to be the federal government. And nobody talks about that. I mean, it's, so if somebody, if you, not to mention all the other crap that goes in there, your, your Obamacare, all the other stuff, that kind of kicks off at this fifty thousand dollar level. So if you're making, if you're making the top number here, forty one thousand, forty two thousand, uh, two three years ago, and all of a sudden you've got a thirty five percent raise, keeping up with inflation, which puts you pretty special, by the way, and now you're making fifty two or fifty three say 55, make it round, you're now probably not getting help on your insurance. And oh, by the way, you're paying 22% on all that you just made instead of 12. So who's the beneficiary there? Explain to me, other than the government. How can anybody take the other side of that argument? Well, the the state is, right? Yeah. Um, It's no coincidence that once income taxes in the Federal Reserve were established, we had two major world wars. We had uh, what, 50 year Cold War? Yeah. Uh, we have the War on Terror. We have all these wars. We have 140 bases throughout the world. Without without the ability to tax like that, without the ability to print money to cover these deficits that are run to create war, um, the government couldn't engage in these wars. So to me, it's spot on, right? And the problem with inflation is you have the inflation that starts in 68 that ends in the early 80s. And inflation returns to what? Maybe 3%, 4% by 83? Yeah. Prices are still going up. Prices are still higher than they were in the 1960s. They're still higher, right? And so that's why I think in, uh, wage inflation has to continue after the inflation kind of peaks out and drops down to what the Fed considers good, right? Because the prices of everything have risen. And when you have 2% annual inflation, Prices are still going up generally every year. So you have this big bump up in the prices in the, in the prices of the goods that you generally need to survive or enjoy life with. All those prices have risen. When inflation falls, prices remain high but continue to rise. Well, the, so the whole why, idea, it, I'm it, saying the whole idea right now about the inflation number. And I don't know if you've talked about this in any of your classes. The the inflation I've never seen anything like this in a three year period is is pushing thirty thirty five percent to the point where there's changes in life and society that we will we will. It's it, I'm going to say Al that what percentage of the population right now can afford a new car ever? 
I, I would say, I, I don't think, may, maybe young people can, but I don't think young people are interested in buying a car, but I think people um, under the median income level, maybe even under the average income level, uh, I don't think they can. I don't think they can. I mean, they, I mean, they, especially with interest rates being higher, auto loan interest rates being higher, I don't think they can, honestly. But I don't I see how, well, yeah. the, the, actually the median housing price has dropped from, I think, 406 to like 380-something. I don't see I, the idea of of the average couple. Maybe if they're both working and then you got kids and you got to pay childcare and stuff. I don't see the average couple buying a new a new house and a new car within three years out of college. How the hell do you even do that? Yeah, you know, and here is an interesting question: the World Economic Forum. People that subscribe to that in the United States, the politicians that subscribe to this this uh, World Economic Forum ideas, uh, they want people to what? Not drive, right? Well, but they, so they the, but people, they want so they can fly their Gulfstream. Yeah, yeah. They want people to not drive. They want people to not eat meat. They want right. Yeah. So, can people eat meat right now? Can people buy cars? Can people buy homes? So, next question is. Hmm. I wonder if this is intentional. And the answer to that is, it doesn't really matter, because whether it's intentional or not, we get the same effect, right? Well, you know, it's there's got to be some term, if John Flanagan was here, he's he's more well-read than... There's got to be some term where there's a momentum to something, even if it's, quote, if any any of the people pushing it can't even explain the whole deal. (laughs) I I guess... uh, in the immortal words of Jack Callahan, terrific guy who was on the board with me at the CBOE, he, when, whenever we do something kind of dumb, he'd say, "We don't, we don't know where we're going, but we're on our way." Uh, you know, and and I, you, I, I don't know that anybody. You're right. There's a momentum to this, but do you think there's anybody in Washington, unless there is somebody behind the curtain that says, "Let's inflate the hell out of the place so we get more tax returns"? I mean, I don't know if that person exists, and yet collectively. We're moving these directions. No matter what it is, people seem to be paying more and more for something or some someone or some program. I, I think, I think I, I personally, I think what's going on is there's a few, a small percentage of people, like for example in New York City, a small percentage of people in New York City who benefit from really restrictive housing restrictions and regulations, uh, the Federal Reserve creating, wanting to create. Two to three percent inflation a year. There's a small group of people who benefit from that. They also benefit from all kinds of restrictions on commerce, whether they're con laws, licensing or not, right? And they benefit from this. Whether they're doing it intentional or not, through the years they've learned that this is beneficial to them. And so maybe they feel guilty by it, and so they virtual virtue signal but the system that we have the institutions that we have are so set against poor people middle-income people people who live in the inner city of american cities people who are brown black people of color that institutions are so set against them that i consider this system to be institutional racism the public school system is institutional racism. The the institutions, the government, the Federal Reserve, 
it's, it is institutional racism. Because well, why? It's not, but it's not, it's not against black people. It's against any people that are not in a group. Yeah, but yeah, that but that's when people talk about institutional racism. What the, the you know there, there's the cause and there's the symptom. I think what people call institutional racism right now. That, those are the symptoms. Yeah, but the, right? but rich, the cancers. Rich black, are the rich black people, rich black people. I know, I know, do, I know. do the same thing, that. and they don't care yeah. if they screw up. You know, but there's a. But but the symptoms are being conflated with the cancer, and the cancer yeah. is the public school system. The fact that these inner city schools don't have competitors, right? They don't face the competition. Uh, the Federal Reserve, it's printing of money. That's what causes the averages. Between groups of people to be so desperate. Well, the the thing that was the, I mean, I you know I was a kid, but uh, there was a there was a period of time. Um, I'm going to say it's a post-war era. Now people came back from the war; they pretty much felt equal. Uh, I mean, if you went far for your comfort country, you weren't going to take crap from anybody when you came home. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, so, but there was a there was a time period, and I and I should go back. But you know what? You got you got peeps. Tell tell somebody or somebody's to go go research this. I'm going to say there was a period of time from probably the mid '50s to probably 19 maybe maybe the Arab oil embargo to the when the inflation started to take hold. So I'm going to say from the mid '50s to 1972ish, um, where your your average inflation was about two percent, and the average wage increase I'm going to say was three percent, based on productivity and other things. Maybe even yeah. a little more. I, economically, now of course you didn't want to be sick in that era because <laughs> there, there was no heart surgery. The guy, the guy, if you got cancer, you were toast. I mean, it was, matter of fact, they pulled out all your teeth. You know I mean? In other words, I wouldn't trade the era at all, Hal. In terms of, yeah. of a, in terms oh, yeah. of, a, in terms of, a, of times you wanted to be alive. But for a middle class person, I mean, my my stepfather went to DePaul on the GI Bill and got an accounting degree, and he was solid worker, you know, a very, you know, bright guy. Uh, so my parents bought this house, or he and my mother bought this house in 1958, a bungalow in St. John Fisher Parish. I think they paid eighteen five for the thing. Well, every year the thing went up, you know, maybe 2%. And, uh, and my stepfather got a couple of raises and so forth. So probably five years into it, by 1964, say six years into it, I'm going to say the mortgage was half of one check, you know, and uh, so the, the the increase in economic ability just by that one percent, how you keep you're you're making you're getting ahead by three, and the prices around you are only going up by two. And oh, by the way, the asset you just bought is going up by two. Now the house that that you're that you're paying a mortgage on at eighteen eighteen you know five is now worth twenty four. And by the way, you're you're but in your uh, your you know your raises now you're doing a lot better. Now all of a sudden we have two cars. We didn't get new cars, but we got two cars. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know in terms of economic prosperity. Plus, if if you had a baby, you went to the hospital, you write the, you wrote the check. I mean, you had insurance, but it was only for something bizarre. I mean, regular regular visits you just paid for. You went to the doctor, it was five bucks. I mean, in terms of economic health, I can't. I mean, the doctor didn't have an you know, some medical group on top of him that took 80% of his money. I mean, in terms of economic health, not necessarily physical health uh, and, and, and those kinds of things, I, I can't, 
I don't know. It was like an economic nirvana now. I, mean, I don't yeah. see. I don't well, see. You know, you know, I don't know if you have read Thomas Cole and, and Walter Williams, both PhD economists, both my heroes, both grew up in poverty, both grew up in segregation, but they both argue that um, uh, despite what is said about that era, black income, black wealth, black families attack black families and um, fatherless children in, in black in the black home, according to black PhD economists who started out the careers of socialists, they made the arguments that compared to whites, black families stayed together longer. Yeah. It all it all happened during the fifties. It all happened during the fifties and my the wealth, the wealth of black families caught up was catching up. To white families. I, I never catching up to white families. I never saw how, but I'm not saying this never occurred. But in the Chicago area, I mean, clearly when I was at Pullman, I never saw you know a white welder getting paid more than a black welder. Yeah. And, and there were all kinds of black welders. I mean, it was a. I mean, I, obviously to get to that point, I mean, we, you know, we can we could all talk about the struggles and all the, the crap that happened. But uh, but I mean, I by the time the, the 70s came along. Um, I'm going to say, like, my, you know, my mom said when she went to Englewood High School, which was at least half black, she goes, I don't understand why we couldn't live in the same neighborhood. She was, boy, my mom was the absolute opposite of any kind of racist. She goes, I don't understand why the white, white kids turn right and the black kids turn left. They had families, we had families. There was no difference whatsoever. I mean, it, yeah, in, in, a, in, my, in my town of Bruno, Idaho, we had a, I had a classmate for a year who was uh, biracial, half black, half white. And he was just a kid in our school. And we had a, a girl whose parents came from Mexico. And she was a girl, you could probably consider my girlfriend in sixth grade, Maria, um, but she was just a kid in our school. And the same thing happened in high school in pretty much a mostly white county in central, north central Oregon, where the only black family in the county lived three doors down from a single parent with four boys, most in high school. They were the mom, her mom, Michigan's, a friend of mine still to this day, her mom and my mom are best friends, and in between us was a gay couple who had a son named John, and my mom never said, don't uh, play with John because his parents are gay, his dad's gay, and he has a gay boyfriend. Uh, my mom never said, don't uh, hang out with Misha. Misha was like my big sister. I was a freshman and she was a senior. If I was in the same grade as her, I probably would have dated her. But, you know, you look at, you look at black wealth and families and incomes, they were they were catching up to whites until the the contract the the, the Great Society speech of Lyndon Baines Johnson and the expansion of the welfare system. And from that point on you see the breakup of the black family and you see black income and wealth decline in single parent households, in black families with um, intact mother and father families, wealth and income rises. Well, even so today, that, families that never broke apart. Families never broke apart. Policies that break yeah. apart the family. That, I mean, in my opinion, policies that break apart the family that has Marxist roots. What, what, I think it, there's an attention there. It has something. Hal, thank you very much, buddy. SP Futures now down seven. SP Futures down nineteen. Well, I hope somebody was listening. We solved the problems of the world. If somebody took notes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow. Stacks and Jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. 
Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at ptiprodirect.com. Nadex, offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit hamzianalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.